This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. And uh, this is, of course, Mitch Marathon Month. But you know what? I am not going to do this one alone on the phone. It is rock star for an icon. No, sorry, guitarist for an icon. <laughs> Michael Stairtoe. Good day, sir. How What's are up, you? Mitch? Yeah, pleasure I'm to good, have buddy. you. Good buddy. Now, uh, for fans, uh, for fans that might not know, Michael played with Lou Graham, the voice of rock, the epitome of the voice of rock. And and by the way, if anybody saw the um, Shia LaBeouf. Um, press junket for transformers it's the epitome that's how he says it <laughs> there you go yeah you good go. day good day michael uh, your 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 time with with lou has uh, come and gone but now you are out there with slaughter with uh, mark sure. slaughter yes which is which is exciting so congratulations on the new gig it is a a great uh, thing to see i mean you are one of the uh, greatest guitarists that i know so pleasure to to see you doing that. Uh, how is that going, by the way? It's going great. And, you know, um, right now it's just for select shows this summer. That's kind of holding the fort down while the uh, proper band is out with Vince Neil, backing up Vince Neil. So I'm having a, I'm having a great time so far. Everything's going so good. And uh, I want to say to you, thank you for having me on your show. I listen all the time, and it's an honor to be here. Good, good. So let, let's talk about our guests. We are going to uh, present to you a great interview I did with Dave Amato of REO Speedwagon. And he joined the band back in, I guess, 89, 90. And the, the first album he was ever on was called The Earth, A Small Man, His Dog, and a Chicken. Well, they the, had to keep the chicken in there, right? Yeah, it, it's the great... It's the it's the greatest album title and and if you look at the album cover, what you see on it is the Earth, a small man, his dog, and a chicken, and I believe uh, that's pretty much why they called it that. They they liked the artwork and they couldn't come up with a title anyway. He's been with them for going on thirty years, and right now he's got wow. a new Les Paul Access Standard guitar from Gibson, and by the way. 30 years with a band, whenever you're the new guy, it doesn't matter how many years you've been with them, you're still the new guy. So I think Dave you're is still, still the new the guy. New guy. <laughs> yeah, I think Dave <laughs> is still the new guy. I remember I remember James Kotak, of the, formerly of the Scorpions, you know, he was like 14 or 15 years in at the time when I when I asked him the question. He goes, yeah, I'm still the new guy 15 years later. So it's, it's kind of funny. But, it's a seniority thing, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a seniority thing. You, you never get to be the not new guy until i mean like tommy thayer with kiss is still the new guy um right but, right but you've had a chance to to work with dave in the sort of rock and roll fantasy camp thing um talk to me first about working with dave and then and then talk to me about dave as a player because you you have these gibson guitars you you you've actually played these mm -hmm. these these guitars so sort of sort of, sort of give me the overview on all this stuff so Dave is, a, is an amazing player. I mean, his history speaks for himself. I mean, he, he played with uh, Ted Nugent, correct? He did. Um, Richie, Sam, Richie Sambora. He, he toured with Richie when Richie yes. did a solo record. Correct? Yes, by the way, you're not allowed to and, say the uh, words Ted Nugent on air. People get very offended. Not me. Uh, <laughs> I completely apologize for anybody that's offended by my vocabulary content <laughs> involving Ted Nugent. But <clears throat> anyways, uh, yeah, Dave's a great guy. I mean, we did uh, a rock and roll fantasy camp 
not this year, a year ago, um, it was a camp with REO Speedwagon, Foreigner, and Night Ranger. And uh, Dave and Kevin represented REO Speedwagon, and they were extremely gracious to all the counselors and uh, to the campers alike. Um, Dave's a great guitar player. You know, when we when we played with uh, the campers during their time uh, allotted with them, he was very gracious to uh, myself and the campers as far as you know that you know being you know overly uh, present as far as playing. He, he, he interacted. He was very accommodating. Just a great guy, a great player. I have a lot of respect for Dave. He's one of my favorite players. And uh, his Les Paul Access, I happen to own one myself. Um, great guitar. Um, unique to the Les Paul line of guitars. It's a little bit thinner than a conventional Les Paul. It has a, has a carved heel, which allows you uh, further access, therefore the name of the guitar, um, up the neck. So when you can play higher on the fretboard, closer to the body, you're not uh, encumbered by the heel, which can be a little bit restricted, but um, also has a Floyd Rose uh, uh, tremolo system, and uh, just a just an all round great guitar. I think they really knocked it out of the park with this guitar. And I'm I'm really looking forward to see uh, Dave's production model. Looking forward to playing one. Yeah, the, listen, it's a, it's a great looking guitar. I mean, you you can go check it out on the on the Gibson website. Just uh, when you were uh, out there with Lou, did you at any time have a chance to play a show with Ario Speedwagon? Because I know Foreigner and Ario and, and stuff they're, they're sort of the same mold. Did you have a chance to ever play? Uh, with REO? Um, not when I was in the band, but there was several shows that we've done on the West Coast where, where Kevin would come or Dave would show up and uh, hang with us, you know, before or after the show. And, uh, you know, just, just great guys. I mean, just really, really down to earth. You know, with all their success, you would think that they would, you know, be a little more aloof, but not a chance. I mean, both Kevin and Dave uh, in particular were were phenomenal, phenomenal people, just really salt-of-the-earth human beings and, and really, really good guys. Yeah, they really are. Um, should we get over to the interview, or uh, would you like to add some some more uh, color about REO Speedwagon? Because th- this is a band which had, of course, huge success in the States, and they had a chance to tour Canada. Now now they seem to be primarily focused on touring the American markets. We don't really see them up here. They, they came up a couple of years ago with uh, Def Leppard and Tesla, but on their own, we don't get we don't get to see them as much as we should. Were, were you growing up a, a huge REO fan? Absolutely. I mean, Gary Richrath was one of my um, one of my influences early on, and uh, that High Infidelity record. I mean, it was was hard to uh, hard to hard to not you know be attached to that record when it came out. But I will say this: you know, when you have such a big uh, guitar presence as Gary Richrath, you know, the subsequent player that's coming in has huge shoes to fill. Something that I've experienced myself. Um, I think Dave did and does an amazing job of filling that void, which, you know, some would argue, you know, it's kind of hard to step into his shoes and, and, and do justice, but I think Dave does an amazing job, um, you know, uh, representing and, and, and honoring Gary Richard's legacy with the band. And then he's also paved, uh, uh, quite the path in his own right. So great band, great player. Um, Love seeing them whenever I have a chance to see them play, perform. Um, and I would encourage anybody to go out and check them out. Um, great, great music, great catalog. 
Yeah, they they really are. And in fact, uh, last year in Malone, New York, I got to uh, introduce them to the stage, mm-hmm. and and it was a thrill for me. And and at the end of it, uh, and I, in fact, I'll tell you this because I actually posted the video of me doing that on on YouTube. But uh, mm-hmm. they hand me the mic. They go say, go introduce the band, and they say. Uh, keep it short. Uh, you know, just just go tell the folks that they're coming on, and and, and then get off. And I was not not the band, but the uh, local crew had said that. And sure. so I I go do it, and I and I keep it to like thirty seconds, and uh, mm. I hand the mic back to Ario's guy, and he goes, he goes, you should have whipped them up a little bit more. And, the, and it's like, well, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. One guy <laughs> said one thing, and now you're telling me something. Anyway, but then after the show, um, uh, I'm talking to to Kevin. And we're in the dressing room, and it's just filled with all this food, all these chips and breads and, and fruits and, mm-hmm. and canned goods that, that nobody touched because they had stuff on their bus, and, and they, they, they didn't really. And uh, Kevin goes, uh, he goes, Mitch, you're going to consider this REO Speedwagging Grocery Shopping. Uh, take whatever you can <laughs> under your arms and uh, take it back to your car because we're just going to leave it here, and it'll probably just end up uh, being thrown in the trash. So... Uh, my wife and I were walking through this state fair with all kinds of pretzels and chips and and loaves of breads under our arms and tucked under our shirt. It was the goofiest <laughs> because, as you know, at state fairs, there's thousands of people, and we're we're working sure. our way through this crowd, this you know post concert crowd <laughs> with mm-hmm. all this with all these Gatorades and all. It was it was something anyway. Uh, let us get over and 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 by the way, I had a chance to meet Dave that night. In fact, everybody in the band, including the manager Tom, uh, just all of them, uh, sweethearts. Can 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 a man say that other men are sweethearts? Is that is that appropriate? But but just sweethearts, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, just sweethearts, absolutely fabulous people. And uh, well, here we go. Without further ado, here is the one, the only, and yes, just for you, Steve Brown, the mighty. Guitarist. That's right. I'm going to throw in the mighty, the mighty guitarist, Dave Amato. We are speaking with the guitarist, Dave Amato from REO Speedwagon, a, a great, great yeah. band. I've, um, boy, you know, I, I saw you last year at the Malone, New York County Fair, and I have to say that show, and in fact, I got to introduce the band that night. Um, ah. That's right. That's I, I did. Right. I came out and I got to say, hey, everybody, are you ready for some uh, REO Speedwagon? Uh, your manager, Tom, could not have been nicer. I mean, an incredibly, incredibly nice guy. But uh, pleasure to talk to you again. And um, today. Well, same here. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for calling. That's awesome. Yes. So we are going to talk uh, a little bit about REO and a little bit about some of the other stuff. But we are going to focus on this new Dave Amato Les Paul Access Standard Gibson guitar. So a signature guitar for the man, as we say. Um, talk to me about this guitar and and having having a chance to work with Gibson and, and sort of making it to your specifics. And you know, for the guitar geeks out there, why your guitar? What is it about it? Just everything. Let's let's go. Well, the, the um, Gibson approached me. Uh, a, a few a few years. Well, I, I've been trying to get a Gibson, you know, a, a signature model for years because I'm a Gibson freak. I have so many Les Pauls, and they wanted to um, really kick the Access line, um, you know, and try to make something new. 
and and I'll, I, I can I can just uh, kind of go. I I want to talk about my first guitar a little bit. Uh, it was a one pickup Access that came out about two years ago, which which made a good good splash. Um, which was just a one pickup with a Floyd Rose and and a smaller body Access and with a um, a white ebony neck. But um, and then we we put that out and which is which is still out, which you, you can still get. But now we have a two pickup model, which people you know kind of want to uh, want more. Um, you know, uh, a choice, you know, with the, with the two pickups and, and all that. So, um, we came out with this, um, this two pickup access model. That's my signature model, which I'm, I'm really jazzed about. And, uh, it's, it has a Floyd Rose as well. And I wanted to, to make it kind of like, a. I mean, who doesn't like a sunburst Les Paul, a burst, you know, I mean, that, that's the, the Holy grail of all, uh, Gibsons. So I want to make it in that color. And, um, I'm from Boston, so we, we kind of named it Boston Sunset Fade because we kind of took a picture of uh, a sunset, and you know, which was a sunburst finish, and uh, we put, placed it on the guitar, and it's just beautiful to me. And we picked up this, uh, uh, we found a, a, a whole block of wood, which is white ebony, which is really kind of weird, but because ebony is usually dark. But uh, Philip Wharton and I kind of, went in together with this, uh, with the new guitar and my first guitar. And he found this white ebony wood and we said, oh, try it. And I'm like, I thought it'd be too light, but, but that darkened it up a little bit. And it's really, I mean, it's a, it's a good piece of ebony and it's really cool. And it, it, it just, um, it just flies. And, uh, that's got a Floyd Rose. You can do a lot with a Floyd Rose on it. You know, it's kind of like, well, yeah, I was going to uh, ask you about it, that. It, Talk to me about, about having the Floyd Rose on there. I mean, that's, that's, that's like standard equipment. You have to have that to be a serious guitar player. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of guys, you know, they, they either want to switch to something else, maybe, you know, a, a Fender-ish with a, you know, with a bar. But I've always wanted to put a, you know, a Floyd Rose on a Les Paul. That was really, uh, when they first started the Access line, I really approached Gibson because I really love that concept because you can do so much with it. You know I mean? I love standard Les Pauls as well. And I have a lot of those too, but um, with a Floyd Rose, it just locks at the bridge and the nut and it just stays in amazing tune and you could really have fun with it. You know, just, you know, so you got the, the beef of a Les Paul and then you got the, the less, uh, the Floyd Rose, which you can, you know, do dive bombs or, in my case, it, it floats, so you can pull up on it if you want to, you know, hit a harmonic and pull it up, um, like a like a Ted Nugent type of thing. You know, you know, hit the pull it way up, and and it's, it's you can just do so much with it. It's really a lot of fun, um, and uh, you know, you've got the, of course of course the selective pickups, you know, a selective switch with the the two pickups. You can do a whole bunch of sounds with it. it it's really fun. It's a great machine. Yeah, it really is. And for folks who, who want to sort of experience it or see it, there is a clip of you up on uh, YouTube uh, playing the Les Paul Access Standard. So so just look up Dave Amato, Les Paul, and, and, and you will find that clip. It's a fascinating clip. Um, now, you mentioned Ted Nugent, and literally yeah. about half an hour ago, I recorded an interview with Ted Nugent and producer Tom Worman together. And I think it was the first time they had spoken in over a decade so it was like this family reunion on the phone i set that up and it was it was quite fascinating wow. but but yeah you know uh but your name that's, came up of course that's great i i haven't talked to tom in in so many years uh i love tom warren 
and and Ted Nugent. We we had such such fun together, you know, doing one of Ted's uh, records in back in the eighties. Um, well, that's the one we talked about. We, we we talked about if you can't lick them, lick them, and if you can't lick them, lick them. That's right. Right, that's right. great album, and it had been uh, ten years since Tom and Ted had worked together. They had finished an album in '78, and this came out in '88. Uh, right. Talk to mm-hmm. me about that album and that experience, because it'll be sort of a nice uh, way to sort of piggyback these two interviews in a sense that. Uh, they felt uh, on this inter- on the interview I just did that nobody's heard yet that right. technology sort of overtook the process and it wasn't a pure Ted album as you know as Cat Scratch Fever was or or Live Gonzo. What was your experience working with them, and also what was your experience working with a producer like Tom Worman? You know, you look at Cheap Trick, you look at Motley Crue, you look at uh, Stay Hungry by Twisted Sister, undeniable. Uh, production credits um it, it was a, a real pleasure and i mean tom knows his stuff man he, he's just i mean he's done like like you said all those records he's got uh, uh, a lot of experience um and he's a great guy i mean we we hung out and and uh you know like uh, in the in the lobby we, we had, uh, there was a popcorn machine and when, and when we were doing the records like tom would say hey dave want some popcorn you know just just, just a great, you know, down to earth guy and, and a real genius producer. He's just, he's just amazing. You know, he knows his stuff. He knows what to put on there. And, and, um, and, and with Ted, it was a lot of fun. You mentioned, um, you know, the technology, I think we used, you know, at the time, which, which was quite, I don't, I'm not sure if we used a drummer or not. It's kind of like was, um, you know, sample drums or something in the computer because computers were coming, you know, really coming into place when you're doing a record and stuff like that. And, and as you, as you say, it wasn't really a true like cat scratch fever record, you know, and, you know, we didn't do it live. We did it in pieces, you know, which I, I don't know if that's, that's good or bad. It can be good for sometimes, but I, I like to get in there, you know, with a drummer and, and everybody's, everybody's doing it. We're taking, you know, uh, you know, five or six takes of something, or maybe, if it comes out good, two takes. I, I like to do it that way. But you know, it was, it was different. Different at late '80s, it was a different way of doing stuff. So, like like you said, I think you know they were right in doing it that way. If we we do it, did it now, we probably would have done it. You know, with a drummer and a bass player and gone in there and do it live. Let's go. You know, just you know, like say four guys in there just bashing it out. And but I tell you, it was a great experience with with Ted Nugent. I, I love Ted so much. He. he uh, you know, he, he picked me up as his lead singer in the eighties. And I just, uh, I, I love the guy, you know, and, and he, he's a, he's a hall of famer to me. I got to tell you, Ted, Ted is a great guy. And he's a great guy. I mean, I, I, I spent a lot of time with him in the years I was with Ted and he's just a wonderful guy. And I, you know, a lot of people don't know that, you know, just, they, they think about the politics, but I, I got to tell you, he's, he's a real, he's a family guy. You know, uh, he lived in the country in Michigan and, and I stayed at his house and I, I have nothing but I, I love Ted Nugent. I got to tell you that. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned the drum thing because they, they were talking about sort of having programmed, you know, John Bonham sounding drums and they would just sort of fly that in. And of course, you had Pat Torpy and of course, God rest his soul. But why not just right. get Pat sure. to, 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 to bang it out? Um, l- let me yeah, ask you. Which would have been would have been right. Would have been the right thing. Exactly. Perfect. Right. I mean, that perfectly. Yeah, that's what I think right now too. And looking back, 
we should have done that for sure. Right. So, so let me ask you a little bit about your career because you started off. Okay, so there was Black Oak, but but mostly you were a session guy. But here's what I find uh, fascinating in your stories: that you're a guitar player, but you weren't really a session guitar player. You were a session backing vocalist. Um, talk to me a little bit about that and how you got to go and, and, and sort of sing background vocals on Motley Crue's Girls, Girls, Girls albums and, and some of the other stuff. Was there a lot of work for just a backing vocal guy? Yeah, well, I, I did both. I did a lot of guitar work as well. You know, for Jimmy Barnes, you know, in Australia. I don't know if you're familiar with Jimmy. Um, of course, of course. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, and, I'm not and, a rookie. <laughs> I know yeah. Jimmy. <laughs> no, no, yeah. I didn't mean it that way. No, no, no. It's been a long time since I've been with Jimmy. That was the 80s. Yeah, I did a lot of stuff with, you know, uh, Jimmy Barnes with uh, Jonathan Kane called me one time. As it just says, you're talking about guitar session. Jonathan Kane called me uh, one time since I've got this guy from Australia, which was Jimmy, that came into town. And uh, he said, I've got a couple of songs I'm writing for him, and I want you to play guitar. So it was uh, uh, Jonathan Kane, uh, myself, Tony Brock from The Babies on drums and uh, Randy Jackson from American Idol on, on bass. That was, you know, in the, in the eighties. So I did a lot of, a lot of that sessions, but I, it was actually Tom Warman uh, who was doing Motley Crue and they needed some background vocals and the, and the crew loved Ted and I was Ted's lead singer. So, and Tom knew how I sang. So he said, Hey Dave, let's, you know, I, I let's do some, uh, some background vocals on Motley stuff. And, and the first two songs I sang was, Girls, 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 and uh, Wild Side. And oh, then, uh, wow. Think, Talk about great albums. Yeah, that was the first two songs. Wow. You know, so I, I was pretty much bleeding after that, that session in one day. I couldn't even talk after that session. But um, Nikki Six took a liking to me, and um, uh, I even continued on to do, uh, I think I called for, uh, got called for the Dr. Feelgood record, but I was on tour with Ario. I couldn't do that. But I did do Decade of Decadence after that, and Nikki would call me for the demos. I would go in and just sing, you know, some, and I think some of the demos got on the record, I believe. Really? So, uh, that's uh, interesting, because they, they only did, uh, and I'm going off a of memory here, but two or three new songs for that. They did um, Primal Scream. So are you on Primal Scream? Yes, that's me and Tommy Lee, Lee singing backgrounds on Primal Scream. That's correct. Okay, now right. you have you have just gone up about eighteen notches in my uh, estimation of you because <laughs> "Primal Scream" is by far my favorite Motley Crue song, and and you know when they do greatest hits, really, bar- I love that song. And and the the greatest hits always has like two new songs, and they're always sort of throwaways. And you go, all right, well, thanks for putting them out, but that right. song is that's Motley Crue right there. I mean, that is that is, and that's you singing some backgrounds on some BVs, as we yeah. say. Wow. That, that's Tommy, Tommy, Lee, Tommy Lee and I singing, you know, scream, shout, you know, all, all that, all that background stuff, you know, wow. and, and I think I sang in some of the verses, there's a harmony part, uh, below, uh, Vince. And I, I, I think that's me. I'm all, I know that's me. Wow. So hey. I, haven't, I haven't heard that song in a, in a long time, but, but yeah, that was, uh, I did primal scream and I can't remember some of the other. You know, those new cuts that you're talking about, I can't remember uh, what what they were, but I do remember Primal Screen for sure. Oh, that's great. And of course, uh, then fans will will enjoy this. Uh, 
in concert, Motley Crue uses uh, samples for the background vocals, and that's not a known fact. We're not breaking confidence here. So that means that every time we went okay. to a concert and we saw Primal Scream, we heard you. That's a, that's. I, I believe I think so too because I I saw it on uh, yeah uh, I don't know access to something and, and I was listening I'm like I think that's me on there or something it is a surprise they oh, they they, they, they trigger background vocals and that's not a secret Tommy uh, not Tommy uh, Nikki has has spoken about that publicly it's not a not a big deal but. Let me let me just. Right. Uh, you mentioned the uh, the the Jimmy Barnes album, uh, which is called Freight Train Heart, and and for folks that haven't heard it, listen to this lineup. You've got Tony Brock of the Babies, John Ferris of right. NXS, Neil Sean. You've got Randy, as you mentioned, Huey Lewis, uh, yourself, David Glenn Isley. I mean, holy mackerel! That that's not just a record. That's that's an all star cast right there. So. Um, talk to me about just real quick working with Jimmy because he's one of these guys that if you go to Australia, he's as big as you know Bruce Springsteen. You bring him to Canada, That's exactly right? Right. You bring him to Canada, yeah. and people go, "Oh, all right," because he had you know one hit back in whatever '84. Uh, but talk to me about working with that and and having that perspective of this sort of foreign artist that is bigger than sliced bread in his country and just. Being able to be part of that. Oh, it, it, it was, uh, and and again, I, I love Jimmy too. I haven't talked to him in a, in a long time, but uh, it, it was it was incredible. You hit it right on the on the head. He was the Bruce Springsteen of Australia. I mean, absolutely, they went crazy for him, and it was good, just rock and roll songs. And his voice was amazing. And um, and and again, I got that that gig. From you know Jonathan Cain doing the first session in America because he came over and Jonathan had those songs, and I, I think that it was Working Class Man was hit over there that written by John Jonathan Cain, and um, I ended up going going over there in uh, I forget eighty five maybe something. Like that. Yeah, well, the album came out in eighty seven, and 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 I will add this oh, too. Uh, it, it also uh, included songs by Desmond Child and Jim Valance. I mean, this this was the perfect album. I mean, you know. uh, you're talking about uh, Freight Train Heart. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, the first record was. Um, oh, 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 oh uh, for, for the working class man. Sorry. Yeah, in '85. For the working class Sorry. man. Yeah, that was that was Jonathan's song. That was the first time I, I went over there. So I, I played on this song. So I, I said '85. That was the first record. Yeah, and um, David Glenn Isley and I flew up to San Francisco to do some backgrounds on that. We, we went together and we sang uh, together on uh, backgrounds. I, I can't remember which song, you know, a bunch of songs on there. And David and I came, went up there and Dave was a good friend of mine too. So um, it, it was exciting. And the eighties were, <laughs> was a great time. I got, I got hired to do background vocals and or guitar. So it was, it was a, it was a great time. It, it was a great time. And uh, just real quick for the kiss geeks out there, Tommy Thayer also had some guitar parts on that on that first Jimmy Barnes album that you were a part of. So there you go. Um, really, I did. I didn't know that. And, and Tommy, Tommy's in, in the same town as I am. We, we sometimes we have coffee together. He's, he's a great, great guy, great guitar player. Yeah, he really is. And and the only thing I'll say about Tommy, it's unfortunate that he had to replace Ace in the sense that. He never gets his due. There's a lot of fans that just go, well, he's not ace. And it's like, I mean, he's still a great guitarist. Like, you know, just respect him for being Tommy. I mean, you know, come on. But anyway. Well, I, you know what? I, I, 
put up with the same thing with Gary Richrath. I, I had to do it. You know, it takes a long time, man, for people to, um, to, you know, to come around. I mean, I, it took me years and years, you know, to, to sometimes they would call me Gary when I first joined the band. I'm not Gary. I'm Dave. Jeez. You know? So it, it just takes, it takes a while, but, um, uh, Tommy holds his own, man. I've seen Kiss live. He holds, he, he does a fantastic job. So, but, but there you go. You know, the, the fans, some of the fans won't let go of the past, you know, and, and I got nothing against Ace. Ace is, is fantastic too, but you know, it's just Tommy's in the band now. So you got to accept it. You know, that's all. Yeah, you really do. And, and, and so let, let's talk about accepting Dave in uh, Ario Speedwagon. So the, the first album that you're on, and I love the title of this album. I mean, it's like the goof. <laughs> it's goofy, but the Earth, a small man, his dog, and a chicken. By the way, is there a story behind that? Like, is is that like some kind of inside band joke that I've just never been a part of, or, or is it just a goofy title to be a goofy title? And no offense, by the way. It it was uh, maybe uh, I I got to say maybe a failed idea on, you know, if uh, you can tune a piano but you can't tune a fish, you know, it was supposed to be something like that. You know, but it, that was not not as clever as that. It's basically, <laughs> I, I, if I think back, it's been a long time, but it's basically what was on the front cover of the record. If you look at the front picture, uh, I guess I guess we couldn't come up with a title. So so let's just name it what what the picture is on the front cover. We found a picture and let's let's just do it that way. And it was supposed to be, you know, it would be funny, but. I don't know. It's the own interpretation of that one. You know, it may be, I don't know. Some, you, you said you like it. Some people do and some people don't. So I think it's hilarious. I mean, you know, on, on my socials, I do these on this day stuff. And, um, when I get to, to August 30th, cause it's right after my birthday, I always post that one. Cause just because it, you have to, it's, it's, it's just, <laughs> you just have to, it's, it's a must. Um, but let me just. Well, that, well, that's funny because I've, you know, I got mixed, mixed uh, uh, comments on that one. You know, like, what's that mean? Why, why did you do that? You know, and, and like you said, and then some people like you, you know, they say like, "Hey, I love that. I got it." You know, like, okay, well, great. Yeah, you, know, you have to have a sense of humor. But but let me let me ask you about sure. this because you did mention Gary, and here's yeah. the first album that. It's Dave. Now you've done all this studio work, and, and and yes, of course you did the Ted Nugent stuff. But this is Ario Speedwagon. This is you uh, replacing, if you want, the man. This is you. What was that like for you? Was there an incredible pressure, or was it like, hey, I just do what I do and whatever? Like, how did you approach it? How did the fans react to it? Did the band, did Kevin and 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 stuff say? we need you to, to play like Gary, or did they say, Hey, just go be Dave. Like, what was that experience like for you? I don't think, um, Kevin ever said, you know, he just let me be me. I, I think, you know, I think he respected me, you know, coming from, um, you know, I wasn't a rookie at the time. I, I've done, you know, I did a lot of stuff and a lot of sessions and stuff, but I, I think he wanted me to, uh, to be me, you know, play, play what I felt on, on the record. Um, I did have a couple of different, you know, guitars to come in. Uh, what I learned in that first record. And, and when I first joined the band that I had, you know, I had some different guitars, like, you know, some fenders and I guess Paul Reed Smith's or something. When I was with Ted, we, you know, we had a couple of 
different guitars, but and I, I had less a lot less Pauls too. But the, the Les Pauls just seemed to be right for um, for uh, for Ariel, you know, because Gary used them, and and I, you know, the, that's what I kind of learned for the first record. Um, the Les Pauls really really stood out for Ariel was the, was the sound of Ariel, you know. Not, not that I didn't have them before. I, I had a I had a bunch of them, but of course I got a million now. So that's when I really started um, collecting Les Pauls when I first. I've, I've had them all, all my life, but uh, I really started, you know, picking them up and because uh, that's the Ario sound is really a Les Paul through a Marshall, which was Gary. And, and it is, is me, you know, ever since that first record and when I first joined Ario. Um, and I, again, on the, on the songs, uh, Kevin just, uh, and the, and the guys just let me be me that they respected me. And, and uh, I think that first record was, was great. I listened to it. Now I don't listen to it much, but, when I hear a song from him, I'm like, wow, damn, that's a, that's a good song. You know, I played some good stuff on it. It was fun. Yeah, y- you did. I-, I won't disagree. Um, I'm going to ask you this because the, the last album you did, uh, well, okay, you did the Christmas album in 2009, but in 2007, you do Find Your Own Way Home with Joe Vanelli. Right. Uh, Joe Vanelli is Gino Vanelli's brother, which is important to us because I live in Montreal and they're, and they're Montrealers. But, um, that was the last album of new material. Is that something that, you know, 12 years on, you think, okay, maybe it's time we get back in the studio and make a a new album. Or are you more of the point of view of, Hey, you know what? We can go do 75 minutes of our greatest hits. That's what fans want to hear. Why go through the rigmarole of coming up with material and getting a producer and blah, blah, blah. What's your sort of take on new music? Ah, that's a tough one. I, I, I'd love to do some, some new music, but it is, as you well know, I mean, look, look, Aerosmith hasn't done a record, right? And I was the last Aerosmith record, just for example, what, 2012 or something? Uh, music from know. another I mean, dimension. Yeah. It's been, uh, when was that? 2011, yeah. maybe, right? 11, 12. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you put, you got, you know, all your babies, you know, you, you, you write these songs, and you put your heart and soul into it, and you spend, you know, a fair amount of money. Uh, I don't think you spend as much as you used to, but you know, and and the radios they they won't play no. They still play the, you know, the '80s hits, you know, which are great for for touring. But if you have a good record and somebody or a song and somebody spots it, why wouldn't you play it? I mean, okay, play an old one and say, hey, look. You know, you know, Ario. This is Ario's. You heard this track a million times, but they they went in the studio and they got a, a new song. How about listening to this? But they, you know, nobody will play it anymore. So there's not an avenue to to play it, or you know, everything is so fast on the internet now that you know you just buy a ninety nine cent, you know, download or whatever, and then you give it to your friends and you don't you don't recoup your money or anything. It just it's just a different world out there. So. I think that's what all, all of us are saying. So, I mean, we're a classic rock band and we're lucky enough to have all these hits and play and, uh, you know, and the people enjoy it. So I guess we're just um, happy to do that. But, um, I mean, I would like to do some more music myself, you know, maybe like a, you know, a couple of songs or something, throw it out there and see what, what happens, you know. But it, it is frustrating. Because I think I think Kevin's a little frustrated with it because there's there's not a good avenue to go. So you 
you really put your heart and soul into it and you're really, it doesn't go anywhere. No. And and it's disappointing because find find your own way home was a great album. I mean, that, that was as good as anything REO Speedwagon's ever done. It was great music. It was great packaging. You had the uh, high infidelity uh, live bonus CD. I mean, just everything a fan could want was there. And and anyway, it's, it's unfortunate. And I looked it up, by the way. Music from Another Dimension was 2012, as you said, but... 2012. Uh, right. Uh, I, I mean, I just used that for example. I mean, look at that. You know, Aerosmith is not... They're not making any records anymore. You know what I mean? It's 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 disappointing. Just what you said. It's disappointing. It's the 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 music business has really really changed. You know. Well, I'll tell you what 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 bothers me about this is, and I'm just gonna use a Hair Nation on on Sirius XM as an example. They will play all the hits from these bands from the '80s. But they won't play any of their new music. And and I can understand, okay, you're driving in your car, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you want to hear We're Not Gonna Take It, I get it. But why not, you know, on Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock, just have a show of an hour of the best new music from your 80s artists, or, you know, two for Tuesday, here's the old classic and here's a new... Because you could put some new Bon Jovi out there, you could put some new Twisted out there, you could put some new Arios beat, and they just don't. And And it's such, to me such a lost opportunity and i and i really think that why not you know three o'clock on a sunday afternoon give people an hour of the new songs from those bands new poison new bon jovi new ari but they don't and it's like why come on you know it, it helps everybody I, if these bands keep going if you could figure that, that i mean i i totally agree with what you're saying if you could figure that out get it going i mean because that's a that's a fantastic idea then we would have you know incentive to go in there and and you know throw it out there and see what you know see what the people like. I mean, why you know why not? I mean, with, with touring and I tell you, we're still pulling crowds in better than ever. And but they just we just don't have an avenue for new songs. So I mean, look at uh, what two or three years ago, Sticks had a brand new record. Sticks, I, I don't know how much it sold, but you know it was a real great record and it's just i don't know just dies on the vine yeah you know, um, just, i mean they probably sold a little bit but but not you know uh, you know where, where was it played who knows you know and, and even i gotta say even for interviews when i do interviews uh you know you usually get on the phone to talk about the new album the new tour and i find that fans will will write me and say hey that was great that you asked them about 1975's album you're like Really? You, you don't you, you don't want to hear about talking about anyway? It's 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 frustrating, but it is what it is. Um, let me just quickly before yeah. we wrap up uh, talk about the classic REO and stuff. You 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 obviously came in later when you're playing live. Like I saw you at uh, at the Franklin County Fair in Malone, New York. A great night, by the way. How right. much how much of Dave do you try to put into the songs, and how much of Okay, I have to respect the classic sound and the classic parts, and and the fans want to hear what they what what they know. How much is uh, you know is there a battle between I want to be Dave and I and I want to respect the old, or has it just gotten to this happy medium? How, how do you sort of approach the older material? That, that's a, that's a wonderful question. Um, I, I just even from day one, I wanted to honor what Gary did you know, on, uh, let's say, Can't Fight This Feeling. The solo 
everybody, it's, it's a singing, singing solo. So I have to play it note for note. And I, I don't mind. I'd be, I'd be an idiot if I, you know, try to put, you know, some <laughs> stupid, some finger tapping on it or something, you know, something like crazy on there. People go, what's he playing? That would just hurt myself, you know? So I, I, um, I tip my hat to, to the classics, you know, but on a song like, you know, I pick, I pick my, my spots, like on a song like um, Back in the Road, which is Bruce Hall's uh, a song, there wasn't really, uh, you know, memorable licks there, you know, a sing-along licks like Can't Fight This Feeling or Keep On Loving You or something. I play those, you know, try to play those to the T. But on, on Back in the Road, I, I can uh, stretch out a little bit. It was just, a you know, and that's all it was. You know, it's kind of a rhythm thing but all the solos that gary did was just he just kind of you know was uh, winging it so i can put me on those songs or um like golden country or you know which was an old song that they did way back when it wasn't any memorable licks that gary was just you know riffing so i can put me on those songs um versus some of the you know traditional ones that gary had like sing-along solos you know mostly on the, on the ballads, they were, they were really carved out solos. So, um, I'd just be shooting myself in the foot if I didn't honor those. That's all. And, and, so, and that's how I approached it. So, and, and everybody seems to be, um, you know, say, I, you know, I do this stuff really well. So, um, it's been, it's been a great 30 years. So it has I, been, um, but so, so something right, I guess. No, no, uh, no need to, to pull out the, the power drill on keep on loving you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Exactly. Do some finger tapping on keep on loving you. Like, wait, what's he doing up there? Get him out of here. You know, no. take out, take out the no. bow, do, do a, do a Vinnie Vincent <laughs> yeah. or a Jimmy Page bows. Anyway. Uh... Jimmy, Page, yeah, Jimmy Page bow. Yeah. Go, what, what, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> exactly. Oh my Lord. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll finish on this. Uh, you are of course a lead guitarist and we have talked about the backing vocals. How important do you think it was in you getting the position with REO Speedwagon that not only you could bring the guitar in, but you could be a great backing vocalist? Because the band and its harmonies and the it, it's all part of the package. So how important was that in you being chosen that you were sort of the full package? Well, I, I mean, I, I'd have to, you know, <laughs> give myself a pat in the back or something. Um, it sounds like. Uh, I mean, I can, I've always done high harmonies in, in every, you know, like the Paul McCartney, or, you know, I can, I can do high, high, high harmonies. That's why I've got, I got hired for so many gigs because I can sing high and it just happened. I just happened to fit into that slot with REO. It, it makes it really easy uh, as far as singing is concerned. Uh, you know, Kevin's in the middle, does the lead vocals. Bruce has a little bit lower voice so he can take the bottom um, you know, I, I just used the Beatles. So, uh, let's say if Lennon's in the middle and, and George goes under him and then I can do the top, like, like a McCartney type thing. It fit in perfectly. It, it meshed perfectly with Ariel. So, um, uh, I forgot your other question and, and guitar wise, mm-hmm. um, you know, Gary was, a, a, you know, a, Kevin's kind of a, a, a folky type guy, you know I mean? He, he used to, do kind of stand up and, and folk songs. And, and that's the kind of the way he writes them. And Gary was a you know rock and roll guy, you know, Mar- Les Paul through a Marshall. 
And I fit the bill in that. That's me. I came, you know, I come from Ted Nugent, you know, Les Paul, plug it into a Marshall and let's go. So I, I, I was, I think I was a good choice to fit into REO for that to replace Gary. So it was, it's a good fit. So that's what I feel. Well, I think they feel the same way after 30 years. I mean, uh, right? Yeah. I maybe do something right because I'm, I'm, still, I'm still there and, and uh, you know, no complaints, I guess. Right, right. I mean, can you imagine Kevin waking up tomorrow going, you know, I think we made a mistake. We, it's been <laughs> – anyway, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Dave Amato Les Paul Access Standard Boston Sunset yes. Fit – Fade, I should say, from uh, Gibson Guitar is is out. Uh, certainly something that should be uh, checked out and purchased. Uh, Dave, absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure meeting all of you guys last year. Just terrific time. Uh, and your manager, Tom, just absolutely terrific. And, uh, well, thank you for today. We, we, have a, we, we have a great organization, man. All, uh, you know, I, I, it's funny to say, but the five of us for 30 years, we just get along just great, better than ever. And Tom Consolo is our manager, and he's, you know, we're all family. It's, it, and it, I think it's, that, that's the best thing they say about Aria Speedwagon. You guys are smiling on stage, and, you know, it shows in, in the music, and, uh, and, and it's true. We're, we're all friends. We ride on the same bus. There's no separate buses, anything like that. Never have been. And, um, and it's, it's a great organization. We, and, and we hopefully would go down the road and keep going for another 30 years. Oh, I hope so. And, <laughs> and, and I just got to say, uh, Tom has got it right in, in terms of, of management. He's only got these, the, the four artists, you, Sammy Hagar, Pat Benatar, and I'm forgetting the fourth one. Um, who's the fourth one? Anyway. Uh, um, I'm forgetting. Uh, Tower Power? Tower, no, I think he, anyway. But, but he has the, and okay. he shows up to every show. Or as many as he can. Like he, he's hands on. Yeah. He's part. You know, I, I saw Sammy Hager in May, and he was there. And I saw you in August of last year, and he was there. He's not one of these managers that just sits in an office and and, and sends you out there. And he, he, it really is like part of the family, like you say. And and it's nice to see that. You know, it's, that's Absolutely. old school. He, and uh, Dave he comes out all the time, and he rides the bus with us and everything. It's not just like he comes in and goes. Okay, I got to fly back to L.A. No, no, he hangs on the bus for you know a week. It's 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 great. It's great, and he's, I mean we're we're a big family. I got to tell you, I, I just want the fans to to know it, it's a big, you know, happy family. Everybody lives together, and it, it is we watch each other's backs, and and that I think that shows in our in our performance and our music. I got to tell you, that's really been a great ride for me. Oh, it does. And, and uh, you know, uh, last year was the first time I got. No, actually, that's not true. I got to see you open up on the Def Leppard tour with Tesla. Ah, OK. And Boy, that's, you know, that's a fun tour. That, that was a fun, a fun tour. tour. And, and I have to say, I hadn't seen you up until then because you hadn't come up to Montreal very often or up to, to Canada very often. And I saw two Tesla, Def Leppard, REO Speedwagon shows and and and, I, and I'm friends with the guys in Tesla, but I think you stole the show both nights that I saw. Uh, I saw Quebec City and Toronto. It was magical. And then, of course, the Franklin County. Wow. Yeah, it really was That's... magical. And and no disrespect to anybody else. Their, their shows were awesome as well. But there was just something about that surprise of like, oh, Look at that. Oh, look at that. Oh, they're tight. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. That's, that's, that's incredible to say. I mean, Def Leppard, I mean, they're, they're friends of mine, and they're just, they're a machine. They're, I love those guys. And Tesla as well. I mean, 
wow, that's really nice of you to say. Yeah, what wow. a great tour. We should, we need to do that tour again. That was that was a really good combination because I think all three bands delivered something that was different. You know, all melodic right. rock, but you can't say REO Speedwagon sounds like Def Leppard, and you can't say Tesla sounds like REO. So you had sort of three yeah. different flavors of rock, of melodic rock, that just... It, it it was compliment. You know, it was like chocolate sauce on a vanilla ice cream. It was perfect. Anyway, Dave. <laughs> That's awesome. As we, That's great. Thanks, thanks for saying. No worries. As we say in, in Montreal, merci beaucoup. And, and I certainly hope to uh, to catch another REO Speedwagon show uh, soon. And uh, there we go. That was that was great. Please thank you. No, thank you. Thank, thank you for uh, for doing this. This is really fun. Thanks. Yeah, and I, I will have it up in in a couple of days, and uh, I will send it over to to the publicist, and hopefully you'll you'll have a chance to hear it. And and, and I will say this: it goes out uh, unedited in the sense that all the content that is discussed goes out, so fans hear okay. what what we hear. And uh, here you go. Thank you, sir. Great. Okay, you got it. Thanks a lot. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk. 